Well, today we're beginning a five-part series on uh, our vision and mission as a church. Normally, by the way, if you're new here, we usually uh, go through books of the Bible, uh, preach what's called expositorily through books of the Bible, but we take breaks every now and then. We'll be next five weeks looking at our vision and mission, and then, really excited, we'll be going through the book of John. We'll be camped there in the Gospel of John for a while. So I'm really excited to be there this fall. But right now, we're looking at our vision and our mission as a church. So the question is, what are we all about? And uh, why are we doing all of this? Why are we gathered here this morning? Why are we, why are we doing this? Uh, our series, our vision, revolves around a phrase that we've been using for a while. We, we sing about it often. We sing about it this morning. And that is that we want to be an awakened people sent by God to awaken others. You might want to jot that down if you're a, a member here or you come here often. We're, we want to be an awakened people who are sent by God to then awaken others. Uh, back in the spring, we started talking about, all right, what does that look like for us? And we said, all right, this is how we want to be uh, an awakened people and sit by God to awaken others. And that is we want God, we want to see God establish our church as a sending center of his presence and his wholeness. We want to see God establish our church to be a sending center of his presence and his wholeness. Now, if you've been around Doxa for a little while, you may notice that that's a, a modification, a change from what our mission statement has been. Some of you are zoning out right now. You're like, mission statement, vision statement, but just stick with me. We're going somewhere with this. Uh, we said from the beginning, to those of you who are around, that Doxa Church exists to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. And that's a perfectly good mission statement. It's very good. It's really a restatement of the great commission or the mission that Jesus gave his whole church, which was go into all the world and make disciples. That was just our way of saying what the, what the great commission was for us. But here's the problem with that for us. The problem with this statement is we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives is it doesn't say anything about what has to happen in us for the mission to happen. It doesn't say anything that has to, about what has to happen in us in order to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave his church. Because here's the honest truth this morning. And here's where I want you to tune back in. Here's the honest truth this morning. You, I'm speaking to you personally. If you feel like I'm talking to you personally, I am. You will never fulfill the mission that God has given you until you are awakened. You will never fulfill, we will never fulfill God's mission for our church until you are awakened. We will never be the fruitful church that God has called us to be unless and until you wake up from your slumber. Because here's the thing. Jesus gave us the great commission. And whenever he gave the great commission after his resurrection, by the way, Having appeared to over 500 people over 40 days, he's standing on the side of a mountain with his closest disciples who saw him die, have seen him resurrected, have spent time with him. The resurrected Jesus has sat down and eaten and drank with them. He has been around them. They, he has, they've seen him, touched him, been around him, shared meals with him. Those same disciples who are gathered with him on the side of the mountain, it, it tells us that they were gathered with him and as he's giving out the Great Commission, it says, some of them doubted. Isn't that incredible? 
The resurrected Jesus is giving his closest disciples the instructions on how they're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples in every nation. And at that moment, these disciples gather around the resurrected Jesus that says they doubted. So if you're here this morning and you deal with doubt, guess what? You're in bad company, good company. It's not great, but it's the same company that the disciples, that Peter and John, that Peter who now stands before Cornelius, Cornelius in our passage, you stand in the same place that they were in. They were doubting, they were scared, they were confused, and they were unfruitful. They had ministered under Jesus. They'd seen some successes, but they had a lot of failures. But Jesus said something that was going to change that. He said this. He says, I, in front of his doubting disciples whom he is giving a great commission that's so big, it says to go into all the world, into every nation. And not only that, he says, and make disciples of them. Go to people who do not care and do not know who I am and go to them and make disciples of them. Make them into followers of me, you doubting people. And he, here's what he said that was going to change the whole picture. He says, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and on you. And he, the Holy Spirit, he will show you who I am. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He will reveal me to you. He will lead you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. He will make me, this is what he's saying, he will make me real to you. And in you, and you will find that there is great power, great power in you and among you to fulfill the commission and the mission mission that I've given you. He says, you will do my works and even greater works than I do. You will do miracles, he says. You will have authority. And he says this in the most amazing promise, you will have my presence with you always. Not a imaginary presence, but you will actually have my presence with you always. And you will be my witnesses to the corners of the globe. You will make disciples. You will baptize them in my name and I will build my church through you. That's what Jesus said. He said, I will build my church through you and the gates of hell will not, shall not cannot prevail over it. So it's no wonder that we have a group of disciples gathering here in this room who sometimes can't seem to make disciples. It's no wonder that we have a group of disciples here gathered in this, in this building who, who stand around in doubt and confusion, just like Peter and John and those other guys. You know what we need? We need the Holy Spirit to awaken us, to wake us up. But what do I mean when I use the word awaken? It's a, it's a, it's a term that we don't use much anymore in the church. Uh, it, here's our kind of working definition for this morning. Awakening is the work of the Spirit to reveal the person of Jesus and the truth of his gospel to the mind and to the soul of a person. I'll read it again. Awakening is the work of the Spirit to reveal the person of Jesus and the truth of his gospel to the mind and soul of a person. 
And so here's the truth. This, that has to happen for anyone who calls themselves a Christian to actually be a Christian. Just because you attend church or you believe generally in Jesus, you live a moral life, you read your Bible, you attend a small group, you go to a Bible study. Just because you do that does not make you a Christian. The Holy Spirit has to reveal the person and the truth of Jesus to your heart. That's what's called conversion or the new birth. We see it on the day of Pentecost and we see it in our passage this morning with Cornelius and Peter. When Cornelius is gathered, his family and friends waiting for Peter to come and tell them what the message from God is. But here's the truth. Not only do you, as any person, need to be converted or born again by the Spirit, awakened, if you will, in order to be an actual Christian. That's to be, you know, not only hear a message and believe with your mind, but you have to have new life birthed within you to put your faith in Christ alone. Not only does that have to happen in order for you to become a believer, we Christians, once you are a Christian, you can grow dull. We can grow dull in our faith. Have you been Christian long enough to realize that you can grow dull in your faith? Christians can fall asleep. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I'm just sleepwalking through my Christian life? We have all been there. A few months ago, I was praying about our church and I had this picture. I had this picture, like, if, if our church is really just a, a picture of the Jesus parable of the, of the ground and the seeds. I pictured if our church was... It, all of us together, we were, we were this ground. There was this picture that covering the ground of our church was this, all this dried, thick bramble and briars and thorns that were dried and interlocking and, and dead. And it covered the ground. You couldn't get to the ground because of this dried bramble all worked in together. And I, and I had a sense like that is long-held sin patterns, disbelief, doubt, wrong views of God, wrong views of ourselves that choke out spiritual life. And then I had this picture of these, on the sides of this, of this ground were these green vines that grew very fast over this, over this bramble. And as, as soon as it seemed like any sort of like life had sort of come forth, these Green shoots, these green vines would come in and find it and choke it out. These are the cares of the world. And then I saw across, across the ground there are these buried, deep buried boulders and stones. And those were bad beliefs about Scripture and about God. And the picture that I had in my, in my head, the th- feeling I, I thought that the Lord spoke to me was awakening happens among our people, among us as God comes in and rips up that dried bramble and tears away those choking vines and pulls up those boulders of bad beliefs in our heart. About three years ago, I went through a, a period of time, some of you guys know, it was, I was very dull and dry in my faith. I knew. It, didn't, wasn't, I, I, it wasn't that I thought. It, I knew I was not fruitful as a Christian. I knew that I was failing in my Christian life. I knew I was failing in my morality. I knew I was failing as a husband, as a father, as a preacher, as a leader. 
I looked around and I knew like I'm dull and dry and I don't see life coming from me. I am messing this whole thing up. Everything I touch just turns to stone as it were. And I, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't go any further. It was one day I, I gave a sermon from my heart. It was like two weeks before Easter in uh, 2021. I gave a sermon from my heart just crying out to the Lord really in my soul as I gave out the sermon. At the end, I was just undone. I was overwhelmed with a sense of my own failure, broken. And I did the only thing I know that I came and this praying bench that never gets used, I came and came up there and kneeled and I just fell apart. You know what happened? Whenever I became aware of my failings and my struggles and I began to own just what a terrible job I was doing in every area of my life, when I owned that, I found that God met me there. And I couldn't make sense of it yet, but I had this sense as I got up from that bench that God said, I love you still. And you know what I found over the following months? I found a new realization in my soul that God didn't love me in spite of my failures. God didn't love me with holding his, holding his nose. Jesus' work wasn't some work that he did and reluctantly for me, but that God loved me with an overwhelming love of the Father and that Jesus Christ gladly died and took my sin and my failure. And that what his call for me wasn't to try harder and be better, but it was accept just what a failure you are and accept my love and my sufficiency on your behalf alone. It began to dawn over me over months and months a phrase, cease striving and only believe. I found there a joy and a peace And a love that I had never known probably ever in my Christian life. And I don't know if some of you guys who know me, if you've noticed any difference in me or any difference in my preaching, if you have, is attributed to to that. If you have not, I just tell you my inner life has been revolutionized by the sense of God's love and his provision for me in Jesus. Christians fall asleep. They can grow dull. And in those settings where the dried bramble comes in and the creeping vines and the deep boulders of disbelief, in those settings, Christians begin to look like the world around them. Our faith hardens into either sanctimonious morality or dead orthodoxy. You have nominal Christians, those who carry the name, but without real spiritual life, no conversion. You have sleepy Christians, born spirit, born believers who are continually let lulled to sleep. Then there are those who are hungry. The skeptics who remain outside because when they look into the church, they see no proof of anything different about us. But look at what happens at Cornelius' house. You had this Gentile who was a Roman centurion, and somehow he had come to believe that the God of the Jews was the one and only true God. 
And he lived, it tells us, a devout life. He followed as best he could the laws of God that had been passed down. It says he gave to the poor. He did good for the people around him. He was a devout, good, godly man, at least in the way that we would look at him. And he had a vision, an angel came to him and said, your devotion and your prayers and your alms, your giving, it's all risen up to the throne of God. And so therefore, here's what you need to do. There's a man named Peter. You need to go and sin for him. Meanwhile, Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, the ones who were sitting on the one point of the shaking and in doubt and disbelief, living unfruitful lives with Jesus, had been experienced the new birth and had the spirit poured out upon him on the day of Pentecost. They'd seen 3,000 people on the first day and then 5,000 people a few days later. Then day by day, he was added to their number daily. Those who are being saved, but all among the, the Jews. And then all of a sudden, God meets Peter on the top of this house, this place where Peter is staying. And he gives him this vision of all these animals that would be unclean for the Jews to touch, much less eat. And he says, Peter, arise and eat. Peter says, you know, I'm a good Jew. I've never tasted any barbecue before. I've heard, heard it's amazing. Not mustard-based, but the other stuff. You know, you've I've heard it's amazing. But I've never touched it before. I will never touch it. And God rebukes Peter in this vision, in his dream. And he says, don't call anything unclean that I call unclean. There's men coming to you now who have been sent by a man who've been told to send for you. Go with them and do as they say. Peter shows up at Cornelius' house. He walks into a Gentile's house, which a Jew would never do, by the way. He walks into a Gentile's house and he's reluctant to even be there. And he tells them so. I've never been in a Gentile's house before. I would never bring myself to this place. But God told me expressly to come here, and so I'm here. You already know the story, he says, about Jesus. But he starts to tell him the story about Jesus and then why he came and died and rose again. And then something happened. In that place, where Cornelius and his hungry family, his hungry friends, people who are hungry to know about what they were missing in their life, they gathered and something undeniable happened. Something changed. There was all of a sudden life where there had been none before. You could agree or disagree with what was going on as, as Peter and his friends were there doing, but you could not disbelieve that something had happened. There was no question something had changed in Cornelius and those who were in his household. The message of Jesus was shared. The message of Jesus, how we are reunited to God through the person and work of Jesus. That in order to accomplish that goal, to actually unite us to the Father, that the message came forth from Peter and then the message and a power had an effect upon those people. The message of who Jesus is and what he has done and a power that was powerful enough to change them, to convert them. That's what the gospel is. That's what Christianity is. It's a message and a power. It's a message of who Jesus is and what he has done. And there's a power that comes at work within you to change you. 
Not a call for you to come to Jesus and change yourself. Not a call to be a better person or live a better life. A message of who Jesus is and what he has done and a power that suddenly appears in your soul where it was not before, where it says, yes, that is real. Yes, that is true. And you find in your soul, somebody, something has changed you where you couldn't change yourself before. Just in the same way that you cannot cause yourself to be born, something has happened and caused you to be born again in your soul. That's Christianity. It is a message of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it is a power within you, not just to update you, not just to make you better, not just to make you a more moral person, but to change you, convert you, rearrange your heart, turn you upside down, bring you from darkness to light into the family of God so that all of a sudden you hear within your soul the spirit of God crying within you. God is now my father. Jesus is Lord and Savior. How did I missed that. I thought the cross was silly before. I thought Christianity was silly. And all of a sudden I realized it's the most precious thing in the world. The message that was foolishness to you before is all of a sudden life and help and hope. It is all encompassing. You find that there's something at work within you and around you that was not at work before. There's a, a life force, a power, a, the spirit of the living God within you moving and stirring within you. That's why when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, tell me about what it means to follow you, basically. I know you're a good man. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born of the spirit of God. It's not something you do on your own. Someone has to come to you and share the message. Someone from outside you has to come and share the message with you. It's not something you can do on your own. And then this Holy Spirit has to be poured out upon you so that you believe it and see it and taste it. And all of a sudden, no. See, Christianity is not about simply believing something mentally. It's about tasting something and knowing something is real and true. It's inexplicable to someone who has not experienced it. If someone has never seen color, how do you explain colors to them? That's what it's like to be born again. You're given eyes to see what you couldn't see before. You're given taste buds to taste what you couldn't taste before. You're given a heart to love that which you could not love before. It's a power that works within you. It may not come for you like it did for this household with t speaking tongues and amazing things and the externals, but the, the external signs may not be as strong or as apparent, but the reality and the power within you will be no less real. The inner working, in fact, inside you must be as real and must be as powerful or you have no hope to be converted. And believer, that same spirit must blow in your heart to revive and fan into flame your love for Christ or you have no hope to be revived. You cannot work your way out of it. You cannot not sin your way out of it. You cannot read the Bible out of it. You cannot sing songs out of it. You cannot serve your church out of it. You all can only happen as God's spirit breathes into your soul the truth and reality of who Jesus is to revive your soul. You can work as hard as you can, but it will not change your heart. You must be born again by the spirit of God and the spirit must keep you alive, believer. Who needs it? Who needs to be awakened? This is both the good news and the bad news about how this works. The bad news that we see in the story is that everybody needs to be awakened. 
The good news is that everybody can be. We see it in the story. The sinner has to be awakened. Okay, we're in church, the sinner, yes. But you know who else? The good people. Who did Peter come to? Did he come to a, a terrible pagan sinner? He came to a pagan, but it says he was devout and a good man. You know what that means? That means it's very likely, knowing Peter, it's very likely that Cornelius was more devout and a better person than Peter was. The pagan, the religious people, the successful. Cornelius was successful. He was a Roman centurion. It would be hard to go above him in his society. The lowly. They all need God to awaken them. They all needed to hear and believe the message. They all needed the spirit to work within them to bring with power to bring life. But the question today is, do you see that you need that same work today? Do you see that you need that same work today? Do you see that you need to actively believe in the message and the person of Jesus? Do you see that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and give you life? Have you been awakened? Have you experienced new life? Have you been reborn by the Spirit of God? You know what stands between a lot of you and true intimacy with Christ, life with Christ, joy and peace in the Holy Spirit? You know what stands between many of you and that? You're too good and too inoculated with your Christianity, what you call Christianity, to see that you are not reborn. I could cry just thinking about it. What a terrible thing to stand between you and Christ. Your own goodness. There are many of you in this room that are believers. You want standing between you and enjoying life with your Lord and Savior? It's your own goodness. You, you ping pong back and forth between Pride and despair according to your own performance, how well you think you're keeping the things that God's called you to do. And you're not actively and solely trusting in the person and work of Jesus for your righteousness and justification and your sanctification with Christ. Are you a sleepy Christian? Are you a nominal Christian? Is this the power and life in which you are living? Is this the power that you feel at work within you? Is your life, I'm asking you, is your life fruitful? Is your faith active? You must be awakened. Well, how does it happen? Well, how did Cornelius and his household receive? Well, first of all, what did they receive? They received new life. They received the Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering them. They received the witness of the Spirit within them. Now, how did it happen? That's the question. 
How did Cornelius and his family and friends that had gathered to hear Peter, how did they receive this new life? What did Cornelius and his household do? What did they change? Did they become Jews? Did they? No. Did they get baptized first? Did did Peter come and say, here's the thing, you've got to get baptized so that God can receive you? No. Did they they have to stop their pagan practices? Did Peter come and say, hey, stop sacrificing to idols in order to come to Christ? Did he say, hey, I want you to come and stop sleeping around. Stop looking at that porn. Stop doing that with that person. Stop hating. Stop cheating on your taxes. Did he say that? No? Then what happened? The spirit fell. But did the spirit fall out of just nowhere? No, they needed Peter to come. Now, why did they need Peter to come? Was it because he was a holy man? He had been with Jesus. He was a better man than they were. No. Why did they need Peter to come? Because they needed him to come and preach Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus to them. That's what they needed to hear. How do we know that? How do we know that's the the key part of this story? Acts 10, 36. This is what Peter said. He said, as for the word that he sent to Israel, that's God, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. This is a story you all know, he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is what Jesus' life and ministry looked like. He was anointed and sent by God. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, that's important. Cornelius and his household would have known that the Jews said that anyone who, was, who hangs on a tree is cursed. So here's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying Jesus was cursed. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach. This is what he commanded us to preach. To the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets, all the scripture bear witness. This is what the message of all the scripture is about. That everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit, that's when the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit fell on them when they heard the message of Jesus to him, to Jesus, all the prophets, all scripture bear witness that anyone, everyone who believes in him. What is the call? Everyone who stops doing bad things and starts doing good things. 
Everyone who will start attending church, everyone who gets baptized, who? That everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of your sins. It's a, it's a message that's too good to be true. Are you a sinner? Are you an enemy of God? Are you a rebel against him? The call isn't, hey, drop all those things, come back to me. The call is, believe that Jesus was accursed for you. Believe that Jesus was separated from God so that you could be brought near. Believe that forgiveness of sins is offered by and only through his name. That's what makes the gospel so good. It's the message that carries the heart-converting, world-changing power of Christianity. But it's also the message that we stumble over. Because the call is only believe and receive. That's the only barrier between you and new life and Christian. Forgetting that is not actively believing it is the secret to your deadness and your dullness. You say, yeah, but I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but what do you believe about him? Who do you believe he is for you? Do you believe that he alone is Lord of all and he is your only hope for righteousness before the Father? But that his, at his cross, he is offering you Forgiveness of your sin and reconciliation with the Father, not by your works, not by your efforts, but by His alone, and that you only have to receive and believe. See, we we lower Jesus. We mix in our own works to be our righteousness. Yet we work on the other side as Christians. But even then, we don't ever work in order to endear ourselves more to him. We work from our acceptance and forgiveness in him alone. Cornelia says, I was so good and I did so much good that God sent an angel to tell me I needed something more. So please tell us what it was. We're good, we're religious, we volunteer, we give. Oh, but it seems empty most of the time. Yeah, we know about Jesus, they knew about Jesus, but up to that moment, they didn't trust in Jesus to be their only Lord and their only righteousness. Do you feel empty in your religious life? You feel it's just hollow. You say, I'm longing for more then you need the same message this devout Roman centurion needed. Because your great problem, you see, isn't a morality problem. Your great problem isn't that you can't stop doing bad things in order to please God. It's not that you can't do enough good things to please God. Your great problem is that you want to be God. 
And that can manifest itself in immorality, in disobeying and rebelling against the commands God has given us in order to control my life and be my own Lord. Or it can manifest itself in trying to keep a code of morality so tightly that I look down on others around me or I'm crushed because I never measure up. But here's the message to you as the same message it was from Peter. Believe in him. Cease striving and only believe. That's the salvation offered. Not any works, not any deserving. The only way to know and enjoy Jesus isn't through your effort. It's only through believing and trusting in him, trusting in his work and yielding to him in your heart. Where do you place your trust? Christian and non-Christian, where do you look to get your conscience cleaned? When you do that besetting sin that keeps hitting you, when you fall into that this afternoon, what will you look to to, for your conscience to be cleaned? Will it say, oh, if I don't sin for three or four or five days, then I will be okay? Or if I read my Bible tomorrow for extra amount of time, it'll be okay? That's trying to make our own righteousness. See striving and only believe that Jesus alone is my righteousness. Jesus alone is my clear conscience before the Father. Cornelius and his, his obedience, his piety, he realized that it couldn't take him to God and it won't take you either. But Jesus does. Jesus takes you there. Jesus is your righteousness or you have none Ah, but he is offered to you. He offers himself to you. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's the good news of Jesus that awakens us. And you know what happens when that happens? We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. But you know what that happens when that happens? When that happens to individuals and it it affects the non-believer who becomes a believer. It affects all their relationships and all their associations. It affects generations to come. It affects the believers who participate in sharing the gospel like Peter and his crew. It affects all those who hear about the change in people. It causes everyone to marvel at the, and worship God. And when that starts to happen in enough people, everything begins to change. Nominal Christians are converted. Sleepy Christians wake up. And there's a hunger to know Jesus in his word and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. All of a sudden, Jesus is known as people start to be awakened to the glories of found alone in Jesus, not in our righteousness and not in trying to be our own Lord. When that happens, Jesus becomes be, becomes to be known as present in our gatherings. Christians are beginning to be moved, not out of duty, but out of love. They repent to each other and, and offer forgiveness freely for wrongs. They, they right wrongs that they have done. They, they turn their hearts to their families in proper order. They find their hearts broken for their family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers who don't trust Jesus. All of a sudden, the church begins to look beautiful like Jesus. And those who are skeptics who are outside looking in. Many of those who seem to have no interest before, they begin to stream into the church to find this Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring some more effects.
But this morning, as we face the table, the bread, which represents the the broken body of Jesus Christ for you, and the juice that represents the, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the remission of your sins here today. Whether you've called yourself Christian for X number of years, whether you've attended church, if you have not been born anew with the Spirit of God, if you've not experienced the power of Christ at work within you by the Holy Spirit, causing you to believe and trust only and solely alone in the work of Jesus for you today is your day. My urge to you is don't partake of communion this morning. Find somebody to pray with you. Grab me, grab someone beside you and say, that's me this morning. There's no hopes, hoops for you to, to jump through. Only believe. And Christian, this morning, as you prepare your heart to come and partake of the table, as you get ready to come and as you come and as you receive the bread and juice, you're going to receive it this morning as a reminder I have no righteousness of my own to bring. It is only this, but this is sufficient. It's only this. It is all of this for me. And let your heart stir in faith and trust this morning. I'm going to pray and we're going to have two stations, one on either side. As the band plays, feel free to come forward, uh, take the bread. And the Jews come back to your station, to your seats, and I'll lead us in communion together. Lord, I thank you that you give us the invitation this morning and the call. The invitation that says all those who are broken, hurting, sinful, rebellious, run and come to me and trust in the righteousness and the relationship that I offer you freely in Jesus. He will bring you in. Father, stir our souls, those who are believers this morning, to in faith reach out and say, Christ, remind me that you alone are my righteousness, that your great love for me led you to the cross that you don't despise me or look down upon me. You are not disappointed in me, but you bring me in. Stir our hearts with love and worship, we pray. In the name of Jesus.